1: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
1: We're all going on a European tour. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week, as ever, is regular panellist and co-editor, James Bird. Good evening, James. Good evening. Well, all we have to talk about this week is a small matter of another Clarets victory. That's four back-to-back victories in the Premier League and um, another away win as well. Um, The Clarets notching up their seventh away win this season, which is pretty impressive considering the well-documented troubles that the Clarets had away from Turf Moor this season. So we're going to have a look at the game. We're going to dissect what went right. We're going to look at a very crazy three-minute spell that turned the game around and we're going to start looking forward to some possibly huge news for next season. So, James, let's jump straight into it so the Clarets 2-1 winners away from home at Watford Sean Dash's old hunting ground I guess where he used to um, used to work it was his first major um, managerial post down at Watford before he was quite harshly sacked um, in his first season in charge um, sorry when the club sold it to the Italians wasn't it I think that's what happened and I think at the time Watford fans were pretty unhappy about his dismissal I think I read earlier on that he, he guided Watford up to their highest positioning the championship for quite some time and they were well on course for promotion. So their loss is most definitely our gain and we have inherited him. And he went down there and proved a point. Um, unfortunately, the Claris did go 1-0 behind and at the time, not the best of performances. But they managed to turn it around with two fantastic goals in three minutes to um, take the lead and hold on to it. But James, let's start at the very beginning and let's have a look, as we usually tend to do, at the teams. So the main two things to to look out for, first and foremost, were um, Kevin Long coming in for Ben Mee, who had suffered a injury prior to the game and missed out. What did you think of his performance, uh, James? Do you think I think he seems to be settling in all right now? I don't I don't think he's he's doing that badly at all. What did you think?
2: I thought he was pretty solid. I'm I'm quite a, I'm trying to think what the right word is. Card. I was about to say fan and then I realised fan is not the right word. Um, admirer, I think maybe he's better of, of Kevin Long's ability to spend long spells out of the team and then come in and, and do a job. Um, I think it's probably a really tough role to play when uh, a team's as settled as Burnley are under Sol and Dash. But, you know, he's been at the club a long time. Um, he knows the system inside out. Um, and I think now he's gaining the confidence that when he's called upon um, he knows he's able to do the job that's, uh, that's necessary. And obviously, Ben Mee's a big miss, so it's massive shoes for him to fill. And uh, I think he he did an admirable job.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And and I think it's really important um, to highlight his ability when he does come in from a long spell on the sidelines because he has had a very hit and miss season. Well, he has his entire Burnley career, hasn't he? Um, but, you know, we hear Deitch talk about that all the time. We talk about the resilience of these players and their patience and just how hard they work on the training pitch. So to see it manifest itself so obviously Kevin Long when he comes on to, to the pitch is really reassuring to see can we just have a quick I guess interjection at this point James and can we have a quick talk about the Burnley situation when it comes to injuries and in particular Sean Dyche's very very vague announcement of them there seems to be um a trend with Sean Dyke when he announces that players have got a little niggle or they've got a tweak here or there and it's just um, a small a small knock and you know he's just going to be out for a short while and then they just seem to inevitably turn into three month layoffs. Good Munson out again with a niggle as well as was uh, Ben Me and I'm re- I was really worried when Sean Dyke says oh he's just he's out short term it's just a niggle or something because it ends up being a disastrous in a long time. I think most of us have got our suspicions as to why Daich does this, but what do you think it, why do you think he massively underplays injuries James? what's going on there?
2: um I think it's just a trend in in modern sport to be honest. Um, a lot of coaches, a lot of managers they don't like to to reveal too much to the, to the opposition that they might be able to make use of um, And it's just the way it goes I think as well with all the sort of modern techniques that they have now for trying to help rehabilitate injuries. It's not always easy to give a proper timescale because obviously different people react to things different ways and there's lots of different options they've got to try and speed the recovery up. So I think where previously uh, maybe you knew that an injury took two months because you, you just basically didn't risk it, you waited until it was 100% and then they came back, whereas now... Maybe there's other methods you can use that can perhaps help it, you know, going into those ice chambers they've had previously or, you know, hydrotherapy and all these other things that people have been working on in more recent years. Um, And as a result, maybe that takes something that previously would have been a a guaranteed two months. Maybe it's now, you know, three weeks to two months, depending on how the player can react to the extra treatment you can give them. Um, And I think that's sort of probably good bit of the driver behind um, why injury reporting, just in general I think is so vague yeah you know? that's
1: a really good point actually I don't think I'd really thought of it that way in that it may very well be a like you say just that Dyke doesn't know and he is just trying to to not panic people and, and I guess I suppose as well there's a psychological thing there is if you know it's well documented how thin our squad is compared to other other Premier League sides. In fact, compared to a lot of football teams, actually, they have, there's, there's championship sides that have got a much strong, not stronger, but it, certainly in terms of numbers, a greater depth to the squad than we do. Um, so I suppose if he goes out there and says, you know, that a key player is going to be out for, you know, three months or whatever, then it it does give a psychological boost to our competitors around us in the table, I guess, doesn't it? Um, so the other... Um, Again, a substitution, we, we had, um, Gubonson didn't make it, but again, um, Hendrick found himself on the bench, James, and didn't make the first team again, which I think some people have been calling out for, and and Kudu started again. Now, I was going to talk about this, I think, a little bit later on when we looked at his substitution, because obviously that was a key moment in the game, but I'm going to bring it forward now while we're talking about injuries and, and, and players coming in and out of the team and, and things like that now. Um quite a bit of criticism from burnley fans on on george's performance james i mean how do we feel here i think a lot of burnley Fans are suggesting that this is going to be a short, loan spell and he's going to um, end up being sent back at the end of the season with no chance of a possible sale. But actually, I've seen quite a lot on Spurs forums today that are suggesting that his his, um, Spurs career is all but over now after his failure to impress us uh, in our team and just his performance levels haven't been what they expected that they would be. Uh, I've seen sparks in him. I've seen... Play that I'm excited about, and I've seen runs that I'm excited about, but I think it is probably fair to say that his overall impression hasn't been that convincing, has it
2: I think it's difficult um you know what like you say we've seen glimpses there's been a game or two where he's he's looked interesting he's looked sharp, but to be honest, we've not really um seen a huge amount of him. I think mean, it's very harsh to to maybe um draw too many conclusions on, on what he is, what he isn't. He's, he's not played a, a huge amount of games in the Premier League at all. Um, and, you know, we've seen with other players, uh, Hendrik Brady, I think to an extent, um, it's taken them a while to, to warm into the side and, and for us to see the benefits of what they can do. And I've seen the case of Hendrik, we've seen this season that maybe he's not reached some of the, the, the level that he, he did show at times last season um, and it just shows, I think, how hard it is in the Premier League to to get yourself to a level that impresses people. Um, also, I think maybe a little bit of it is probably expectation uh, as well at Burnley now. <laughs> Expectations sort of skyrocketed the way we've been playing this season. And, you know, you look at the other options we've got on this, uh, the side. Robbie Brady, obviously, in the season was looking really strong, really good. We've had Aaron Lennon come in, and as soon as he switched to the right-hand side, since then he's he's looked sensational. Um, Goodmanson, who now that he's managed to put his injury troubles the last season behind, uh, has, has looked like a, a hell of a package for a, a mid, mid-table, mid top-half Premier League side like us. Um, so it, it's one of those ones I find it really hard to... To judge, And uh, I think, to be honest, he'll never get a real chance at Spurs. Spurs are too big a side for uh, a player like him to be sort of brought through. I don't think he's come in with the pedigree necessary to to sort of get that impact in their side and, and get a real run of games in order to, to get it under his, the experience, under his belt, that he maybe needs to, to perform at, at the level he maybe has the potential for.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, we saw it ourselves when we benefited from Ben Mee and Kieran Trippier who were coming through strongly in the Manchester City ranks and they were struggling and they knew that they were never going to get an extended run in that Manchester City side and it's similar now for, for teams like Spurs they're, they're looking for world-class players and and you know these teams don't necessarily give their young kids or the younger players a chance to develop and and work their way into the side that just doesn't happen in the bigger sides anymore um I I, I think I agree with you all of that James I, I don't think I'm necessarily looking for us to keep him at the end of the season. That said, um, if we are going on this European tour that we're all singing about, then we are going to need to increase the um, Playing staff quite significantly, so you never know. Dutch might see something in him that he can work with for a full preseason, and and you know build him into the ethos of the club and, and build a, that team spirit around him. And if he thinks he's useful, we might end up getting him as as a squad player with a, with a view to, to covering. So who knows? Turning um, to turn into the game itself, James Clarence got off to an absolutely fantastic start with a very early goal, which unfortunately was ruled for offside. Chris Wood scoring in the first minute of the game, actually. Um, it was a correct offside decision. There was actually three of them offside at the time. But then after that, there really wasn't anything else. I think a particularly quiet first half from the Clarets. Um, One thing I think actually no, I do remember there was there was a really good chance from Lennon. I think where he put in an absolutely fantastic cross. Again, he is turning into just a fantastic player for us. And Ashley Barnes just tripped over his feet and just fell on the floor and didn't get a chance to connect to it. But but other than that, it was a pretty quiet first half. I guess the only real thing to talk about from that first 45 minutes, James, was just another incredible performance from from Nick Pope. Really, the only reason why we went into that half-time talk at 0-0 was two in particular a fantastic saves from him. Now, this is on a day where Tom Heaton finds himself back on the bench for Burnley and absolutely desperate to get back into contention and to be picked for that side. How We've talked about this a few times, but obviously that's not going to have done Heaton's heart rate any good is it James I mean how on earth for me how on earth do you now bring Tom Heaton into this side and drop Nick Pope
2: I think it's gonna be very difficult um you know I've seen a lot of talk about this from Burnley fans what do you do with the the Nick Pope Tom Heaton problem uh, you know does one have to leave in the summer and I've seen lots of people say uh, if they die it'll be um Heaton who goes in the summer personally I think that If one of them's likely to go, it's probably actually likely to be Pope because he's young, he's got that value. Um, Whereas I think if you sell Tom now and Pope keeps getting better in two years, we found we have to get two completely brand new keepers rather than just replacing the one. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I I don't think Tom can get back in realistically until uh, Pope's either injured or makes quite a big mistake because he's built up quite a bit of credit now for... For for making a mistake because he's just been so good and I can't actually think of I can't think of an, any goal this season that I could honestly say is to blame for. To be honest, either um, you know there's, there's still weaknesses in in his game uh, for sure. I think his distribution probably needs to get better, and I think that's what's kept him out of the England side. To be honest. Most games, it's it's entire, it's you know, it's serviceable. But there's been a couple of games, particularly I think around Christmas, where uh, his kicking was just so wayward that um, he, you know that's not the the type of distribution that will get you in a uh, an England side or get you a, a position at, at one of the top teams at the moment. Because you know we see the trend now is to have a keeper who can distribute the ball, ball well and can play almost as well as an outfield player with at his feet.
1: Oh god, that's really tough, isn't it? How do you um... I think I probably agree with you to to be honest. Oh, do I? For me, I think it comes down to which one of them I would rather have. And I never ever thought I'd say this, but if you if you write James and somebody said like you can only keep one of them in the summer because neither one of them is going to stay on, you know, stay on a bench for the summer. Sorry, for a season, they're just not going to tolerate that. I think I'd prefer to keep Pope than Heaton, which is quite a surprise. I think he's just. I just, like you said, well, I agree with everything that you say, James. I don't need to repeat it. So I just, I don't know. It's, how can we even be sat here contemplating at the end of this season that we might be losing Tom Heaton and they might go somewhere else? After his injury so early on in the season, we thought we were done. We thought we were going to really struggle. And I, I tell you, actually, that's it's quite an interesting time in the podcast to say this. We were talking on the way home um, the weekend about just this crazy season we're having and the chances that we're creating and the opportunities that we're giving for ourselves. And if you'd have said to us at the beginning of the season that we would have to play this entire season without Tom Heaton, Michael Keane, and Andrea Gray as well, we, <laughs> what would? You, and then Robbie Brady being out as well through a long-term injury, What I think we'd have all thought we were crazy to think we'd even survive in this league, never mind start pushing for a European place. So... Oh well. Anyway, we all know how, we all know how that how that goes. It's been a it's been a fantastic season. Um. So I guess the only other thing to think about in the first half, James, do we think we can afford to maybe be a bit braver away from home? I know Dyche likes to keep it pretty tight and keep it at nil nil. That seems to be his blueprint. But we're pushing now for, for a European place, and so we've achieved more than we ever can. And we're actually looking like we're going to go past fifty points this season. So would you like to see us go for it a bit more? It's difficult. I think.
2: We've shown signs of improving in this in this aspect, uh, you know, all season. That's shown by uh, the results we've had. But we've been saying for a little while now what's really been missing from our game is is more goals. Um, we've seen a few more in, in recent weeks, and I think the the Barnes Wood partnership uh, looks really promising for that. But uh, I think we do need to get a little bit of consistency in um, how aggressive we're, we're looking to be. Um, we seem to just go through spells where we we maybe not pushing on as much to, to get in the final third as we'd like to be uh, but I think on the whole if you look at where we were um, maybe a couple of months ago with regards to scoring goals and, and creating chances we've come on leaps and bounds already and I think a big part of that has been adding um, Aaron Lennon to the side I think he's been really good I've, I've been really impressed with him since he moved to the right hand side and you know he's just the standard player I think going back to all these things that you never thought you'd see Burnley be or get uh, I think you know, having a name like Lennon uh, in the starting eleven every week is, is another one of those that you can add to the list along with, you know, having a player of the calibre of uh, Defoe, obviously out injured at the moment but um, we, we've been making quite a few strides towards stuff you thought you'd never see and obviously potentially uh, Europe now next season as well so um, it's a bit strange to sort of be sat here wondering whether we, we could be doing more when we've come so far already but um, I think home and away a little bit more um, aggression would, would probably be uh, a good thing for us.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, So let's move forward then. And we start looking into the second half. Now, we were, at the time the Watford goal went in, I think on the back foot, I think that's probably fair to say, I don't think the Clouts were performing particularly very well. And at the time that the Watford goal went in, they were looking like far superior to the side. They had the lion's share, of the possession, they were creating chances and they were playing a lot more positively. And it was kind of like a sinking feeling, I think, when that goal went in, because we felt that um, we may struggle then to get back into the, to the game. Now, the goal itself, James, I thought was pretty unlucky, really. I think... I think Ward makes an absolutely fantastic tackle, but it just falls so unlucky that it just literally just goes straight to his feet in a really nice position. Um, I guess, do you see anything in defence that we could have maybe done a little bit differently, or do, is it just a really unlucky goal in the end? Do you think?
2: I think there's a you know an element of being unlucky in, in most goals uh, like that. It, it's difficult, you know. Obviously, there's, there's sometimes stuff that. Maybe could have gone better, you know. Could you have stopped Watford getting into the position in the first place? I, I don't know. I think with some, you are just probably picking at it too much to find a, a real fault. And um, you know, at the time, Watford were, were in the ascendancy and they, they deserved it. It was a goal that was coming, um, but I think it, it acted as the wake up call necessary. And you know that, along with the substitution, uh, really turned the game around for us.
1: Yeah, it really did. It was a very quick reaction, wasn't it, from Deitch? I think uh, obviously in the space of, th- of three minutes, everything just went completely crazy. I think it went from a nil-nil <laughs> game to 2-1. To so let's um, let's have a look then at the um, substitution. Deitch doing quite an unusual thing for him and, and just going for it and put all three strikers on. So we had Wood, Barnes and Vaux on front. I think as we, we mentioned earlier on, and was the one who had to make way for him and he went with three up, up front. Um, that's an excellent statement from Dyche, isn't it, James? I mean, that was definitely a statement of, of, of intent to go ahead and win the game.
2: Yeah. And it's actually interesting to see, um, a sub be the thing that makes the impact for us. Cause I, I saw, um, a chart of average substitutions for Premier League sides, um, Yesterday, I think it was. Uh, and we're second second bottom, unsurprisingly, uh, making the second least uh, average number of substitutions a game at 2.1, uh, with only Crystal Palace making less. And actually, just to go on a tangent a little bit, what I found really interesting was that was the article was trying to say that actually uh, making so few subs was something that worked against Crystal Palace, which when just looking at the table, seeing them, Obviously, with the least, and as with the second least, I was thinking, well, there's quite a contrast there because, you know, Crystal Palace are probably a team that were expected to finish mid to bottom half, probably not as low as they are. And we were probably expected to finish bottom half to relegated. And they're drawing a conclusion there that making so few subs has really worked against Crystal Palace. But yet we've made so few subs and we're doing really well this season, probably, you know, far outstripping expectation. Um, but I think Dash is showing now. He's maybe more willing to to make a sub at, at times, and I think you know on Saturday he's, he's timed it to perfection. There, he's made uh, the right sub at the right time, and it's really you know turned the game around for us. and And three strikers—that's almost feels alien to have a Sean <laughs> Dash side have three strikers <laughs> at the same time because he's previously been you know, maybe thought of as defensive and cautious. But I think there he's showing that, you know, he wants to go and win games, even though now, really, and and this is something that I keep seeing people complain about where we are in match of the day, but Burnley's games to, the, to the, anyone other than a Burnley fan don't really mean a lot now, I don't think. You know, so when we're on match of the day and we're, you know, in the tail half of the programme, it's because we're not really battling for anything. Um, and a lot of the teams we've been playing aren't really battling for anything. You know, West Brom last week—they're—they're done. They're going down. Um, Watford, you know, they're going to be mid-table like, like we are. Um, yeah. So to the to the neutral, there's not really anything to watch there. But to see us still going to win these games now, even though um, you know the 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 main objective of our season, I guess, is done. And you know, there's still a glimmer of sixth there, and I think. If Arsenal stop getting a little bit fortunate, we might have a chance of getting it.
1: Arsenal getting like fortunate, uh, James? What in the world are you
2: talking about? I don't know. Who, who <laughs> ever um, but for the most part, our season's pretty much sealed. You know, we're going to be sixth, seventh, fourth, um, most likely seventh, yeah. um, particularly if obviously something we're going to talk about a bit later, uh, we can get a win on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most important thing that you said in that sentence there w- was to talk about the the actual glass half full. Um, attitude towards burnley not being reported and i know burnley, we see it week in after week in it and it irritates me just as much burnley always last on match of the day and, and you know you get 2 minutes saying oh, the thing you know burnley've done great haven't they and then it's all analysis about somebody else but burnley burnley fans that's a good thing listeners you know see that as a positive positive then you know sky sports have got a, and all the other media and, and journalism across the globe these days have got an absolutely daily Battle to keep headlines refreshed, to put content out there that will make people click on them, that will make people pay the subscription fees and keep people interested. There is not a story there with Burnley Football Club who are having the best season that they've ever had which has been talked about since we went fourth in, in November and they aren't going down. They're probably not going to get in the, you know, we might get a bit of enthusiasm if it goes to a top six space but as it stands at the moment it's just mid-table mediocrity and, and they've said everything that they can say about Burnley's fantastic season about Sean Dyche about Ashley Barnes. It's all been said. It's not news and it needs refreshing. So that's a really good thing. Um, you know, the fact that there's bigger teams in there that are having the news the fact that the three prom- relegated sides sorry may very well be West Brom, Stoke and Southampton that's your headlines you know it, to an extent as well you look at it from from a, a, the other scale there's not a massive amount being said about Man City at the moment because what else can you say about that City side apart from the, the, probably the greatest Premier League side that's ever been put out there now Pep's probably having the best season as a manager that anybody's ever had well that's again it's boring nobody wants to to hear it anymore so listeners Take James's words very, very, very carefully to heart there and and see it as a very positive thing and a nice relief thing that we aren't being talked about. Um, So let's look at the goal then, James. And um, my man, Sam Vaux, comes on, 24 seconds, first touch in the back of the net. Now, two things from this that I want to take, and I want you to dissect both of them for me, James. Number one, just the, um, I guess sharpness of Sam Vaux. I think we got very lucky, let's be honest, in that uh, the defender makes a pretty critical error and he almost looks like he's trying to head it back to his keeper from, from that position. I know he's not, but it's it's a really poor defensive header. But just the, Sam's, if you watch the footage, Endeavour takes his eye off that ball and he follows it and follows it and follows it and he puts himself in that position where it's just a tap in. When you turn round and half of his, the, the Watford defenders are like sort of half-heartedly putting their arms in the air, asking for an offside. Nobody's watching him. Nobody knows what they're doing, but he was alive to it. So that's number one. And again, uh, as you were saying before, that sharpness from a player who hasn't been playing much this season. And number two, Ashley Westwood. That free kick was absolutely fantastic to the point where I thought it was either Lennon or Cork at first. I had no idea that it was Westwood until I watched it again. He was the one who put it in in the back of the net. Um, That is an absolutely fantastic free kick. It just puts it right where he wants it to be and I don't think that's something necessarily that we expected from Westwood. So, James, dissect both of those for us for that goal.
2: Yeah, it's um interesting you, you bring up Westwood there because I think Westwood's been really impressive since he came to the side. Um, You know, he's not quite uh, Stephen Defoe, but he, he's been better than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah. Can I just clarify um, that point, uh, actually?
1: I do completely agree with you there. Actually, Westwood's one of my favourite players at the moment. I, I guess what I was getting at more was his spot kick uh, sorry his, his set piece ability as opposed to his general play
2: yeah yeah no um, and I think he, he got a fair amount of unfair stick uh, in a few appearances last season but he's shown when he's had to come in this season that he's, he's more than uh, more than adequate player for the Premier League and you know I think we've got a lot of good passes now in the middle and and just seeing that free kick I think sort of reinforces that there's a lot of good passes on the side um, probably I'd say if you're looking at teams that don't have big names and maybe maybe one of the best passing sides in the league, um, and I think that's shown. in when we come, you know get people saying oh we long ball, I think what we actually have is a lot of players who can mix up what they're doing with the ball. Um, you know, short passes, long passes, uh, it, and it's good to see. Um, it's a great free kick. But for me, I just can't understand how the Watford defence let Volks. Uh, Get so free. Um, you know, he, he really couldn't have asked for more time to, to tap that in. I think it's a classic Volk's goal, uh, a real striker's goal, a, a real poacher's goal, as they say. Uh, and obviously, it came at a, a key moment so soon after the sub, it just gives everyone a bit of a lift and a lot of confidence, I think. And that's probably what enabled us to push on.
1: Yeah, it really did, um, and obviously you could you could sense the relief. I think when the goal went in, couldn't you? You knew that this team had had managed to get a goal back so quickly. You could see how much it meant to them. Um, but before they'd really had a, a chance to to what's it called <laughs> to 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 settle on that first goal, we were at it again, and and again it, it was another goal for, from a set piece. But this time, I think Ashley sure does what he does best, and he proved to himself to be a real nuisance. I mean, he got not off, got a bit of a clobber uh, for that free kick that won it just outside the box. Um, But he, you know, he does that. He gets us free kicks. He breaks down playing and he does that sort of thing. Westwood, again, with an absolutely fantastic cross into the box. Now, this time... um It was a cook goal and he was the one who got it over the line. Now, this one had a little bit more to talk about, James, didn't it? Because we had, first and foremost, we had a a ball that was um, slightly over, sent a bit too long. So um, I think it was Wood couldn't quite get his his head on it. But Kevin Long, out of absolutely nowhere, again, was watching this ball, slotted himself behind Chris Wood and, Headed it back into the area, which allowed Cork to get onto it and try and get it over the uh, over the line. Which, which, again, for for a centre half and and a, a player who hasn't quite had an extended run in the side, was just showed unbelievable sharpness. And then we had the yay, no, oh oh, what's going on? Uh, uh, hey, we had the goal line technology. That was my commentating sound effects. Do you think your Papa Bird would be very happy with that, James? I'm not sure he would. Would he? Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I think that'd be one of the one of the times that if you were co-commentating, the mic would oh, be unplugged.
1: I, think I, I try. Sorry, Papa Bird, I'm I'm just purely in disappointment. But yeah, no, we, we joke aside. But it was it was the goal line technology, which for once um came in, it came in our favour and, and very quickly, I have to say, um, got a message to the ref to the referee to let them know that the ball had crossed the line by quite some distance when you do watch it. So um, James again, um I I am not so I guess we can't really say an awful lot that we haven't already been said, but once again, a uh, fantastic sharpness from a player who hasn't played regularly, and another goal for our man. Jack Cork, who uh, who managed to get it over the line,
2: yeah, no, it's great. Like you said, great from uh, from Long to to nod it back in. Those are the ones that quite often you see just you know fade out of play uh, when they they look like they've been overhit a little bit. But he gets it back into the danger zone. Cork gets his head on it, uh, and ultimately, I think from that position, it, nine times out of ten, the the player heading in the ball and um, he he manages to score. You know, the keeper's made a great effort, but I think ultimately, sort of. The, the distance he had to move his arm and the distance the ball had to travel uh, against him and he, he was always going to be up against it to keep that out.
1: Yeah, still, we did really well. though I think I think one of the things I was impressed with with that goal was that the team's ability to make a nuisance of themselves in the box but without putting themselves in any danger of, of- conceding a free kick or or losing the opportunity there was a real physical presence in that box for that second goal and I think the Watford defence did, just didn't really know how to handle it it seemed that everywhere they looked there were just players all over the place in in fantastically good, good positions so that leaves us then James at the end of the game oh actually before we start this this is something that I always want to ask here and I always seem to forget so let's do this before I forget because I quite like this to be a regular thing who was your man of the match?
2: Um oh. It's not always easy no, to answer those sort
1: not of questions. sad, is it? Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've put him, listeners, I've put James on the spot here because I didn't actually tell him I was going to do this. So, where we would normally think about these things in advance, this is none and ever chaos at its finest.
2: I, I think it was a great team performance. You know, there's there's a, it's, it's too hard for me to pick, to be honest. I'm going to actually say Sam Volks just for That's the a impact. Good shout, actually. Um, uh, you know, let's get her distinguishing factor. He, he's come on, he's he's had a massive impact. I think he's helped the, the, the team get it over the line yeah. and you know, maybe if he don't make that change we'd we'd have struggled to, to get the result we did.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm gonna stick with Westwood, I think. I think that's he's gonna be my man of the match. I think he had um a really solid performance and, and he had a hand in both goals. So I think that's um I've just been so we've talked about this, haven't we, James, week in, week out on the podcast. I've just been so impressed when he came in. Um and I'd really like to see him keep his place in the side. I'm not really sure at whose expense or what future this means for Hendrick or Dean Marney as well, we have to look at. But I just think it's fantastic. I think oh God, is DeFor as well when he comes in. Oh my gosh, James! We've got options. We've got we've got selection headaches. What on earth is going on? <laughs> um, so let's leave the, the Leicester game there, and, and let's just no, we won't leave the Leicester game there, listeners. We'll leave the Watford game there. Um, let's let's look at what this means. And I think the reason why I tripped over with the Leicester word then is because what. Not only did the Clarets manage to win and pick up another three points, but Leicester actually lost, which meant that we extended our lead over eighth place to six points with, of course, that key game coming up on the weekend. James, Europe. Now, I'm excited about Europe, and I've been saying this all season, but I want to talk about Mr. Dyche. And I've said this on the podcast before, and I've talked about his lack of enthusiasm maybe for a European adventure. And we've talked at length about his reasons why and they're very valid reasons, so we're not going to repeat them. But there was a particular comment in the press that he made this week after the Watford game that has just irritated me slightly. So this may be irrational listeners, so I'm going to see what James thinks and see if he can dissect this for us. But he was questioned about Europe and he said the question to him was, How disappointed are the Burnley fans going to be if we miss out? If you miss out on Europe this year? And he was saying, no, Burnley fans won't care at all. They wanted, they're getting way more than they expected. They wanted Premier League football. So anything on top of that's a bonus and a bonus to an extent I agree with. But he then said, the fans know that we're not the real deal, but they do enjoy it when the team is delivering performances like it is. Now, Sean, no. I'm going to disagree with that. As, as a fan, and as one of the fans that you, you're talking about there, I, I don't turn around to anybody and say, we're not the real deal. James, he's, it's Dyche's absolute speciality to play down the team and to keep us as the underdogs and to not let people get carried away and to not let expectation levels run away with us so that you then start underperforming and not overperforming. But at what point does that sentence become a little bit farcical? They know we're not the real deal. We've been sat in seventh for what feels like forever. We've won seven games away from home against some really tricky, really tricky opponents. We've weathered um, an eleven-game unbeaten, uh, sorry, on winning run. We got up to fourth at one point. Why aren't we the real deal? What What's the definition of real deal?
2: Um, I, I think it's difficult. I think he's maybe uh, not not picked the, the the best words there. Um, it, it's hard to to. Trying to give an opinion, because I think really what he's maybe trying to say is that, you know, the the fans realise that this is one season. Um, you know, we've seen before Leicester had one amazing season and that they won the league. And, you know, while they've not been uh, an awful Premier League team pretty much since, they, they've they gone back to being sort of unspectacular, middle of the pack. Um, and I think he's trying to maybe just temper expectations a little bit that, you know, Burnley can maintain this level because maybe we can't it's going to be difficult you know we're going to have to make a few tweaks to the side teams are going to start getting wise to to, to what we can do we have to start looking to play other ways we've seen that actually within this season you know the way we struggled maybe to 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 get a win um over that Christmas period and we were picking up a lot of draws obviously not getting beat a lot it was still tough to score against but uh teams were finding ways to nullify our threats um so I think maybe what Daesh is trying to say is that you know there's more to come, there's more to be added to to make us a team that could handle, um, you know, the workload of being involved in so many competitions.
1: Yeah, I, I get all of that, and I understand that that's what he's doing. But I just maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the the choice of terminology. But I just that sentence to me, it makes very few mistakes. Does Dash in the media? I think he's. His savviness in front of the press is absolutely outstanding. But I think that to me was a slight lack of judgment, I think. And and I I got a sense of scoffing a little bit from, I think it was a Telegraph reporter who reported on it and sort of made a comment after it saying, like, "Mm," it was almost like, yeah, I really don't believe that. You know, it was almost like he'd been found out for just trying to play it down. But it's just, yeah, I don't want us to get carried away. And, you know, to me, it doesn't really matter whether we can sustain this run. the idea of being the real deal is in the moment, and and to be honest, football is a very unique business model in that your business plan runs twelve months at a time, and you're judged off one season. You're not judged on where you're going to be in three years because everybody knows that that the you know football is a very. High turnaround business and it's a roller coaster, so it's almost irrelevant. And, and I think clubs are naive if, they, if they, not naive, that's maybe not right. Clubs shouldn't really focus too much on what's going to happen in three years' time. They've got to look at it now. So, in that sense, I think we can say with a real deal, with a real deal this season. Now we might not be next season, but. You know, look at look at the, the top of the Premier League. Chelsea last season won the Premier League and were absolutely sublime. And, and Conte was was hailed as one of the greatest managers ever. Twelve months on, they've had an absolutely shocking season. Conte probably going to lose his job at the end of the season, and City have taken their place. So, what do we say that Chelsea aren't the real deal? You know, it, it just for me, I just think it was a. A, an error in judgment from Dyche from that but let's not get too carried away because Dyche. you know what we are going to get carried away about European football it's my turn to host this week and I'm the one who has been championing Europe for us for weeks and weeks and weeks so I'm going to carry on James we're going to finish seventh aren't we we're going to get into Europe
2: uh, I think we're going to come to, we finish seventh obviously Bowen and Miracle with Southampton um, we'll be in Europe uh, whether it's it's good for the fans, but we're it's really good for the team. I think that's to be seen.
1: What do you mean by that, James? Explain.
2: Oh, I think I've talked about it several times now. To be honest, it's to me. I think you know those extra games that are going to take us away from our focus could be difficult for us. Um, you know, as we have said before, we we're not a, a deep squad. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work to 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 cope with for the players. Um, it's going to be a high workload. It's it's going to be a distraction, I think, from from what we maybe perhaps need to focus on. And, you know, we've seen teams in the past who've done well in competition, uh you know, competitions, uh, at the detriment to the, the big one, the league. Um, and, and I think we've obviously got to try and avoid the trap of being another one of those teams that while they focus on something else, don't do as well as they could do in the league.
1: Yeah, but... If we look on the flip side, though, James, is this not a side that can cope with that? If there's one side that can deal with the extra pressure, then surely it's this hard-working Burnley side. I mean, Deitch tells us all the time that he doesn't bother about extra games, that they thrive off extra games. And there's not that many at the beginning of the season. And if he just builds his pre-season friendlies around Europe with a view to, well, if we get knocked out, it doesn't really matter. But surely it's still, it's still got to be something to get excited about. I feel like... I feel like we're on the verge of achieving something absolutely spectacular but everybody's putting a real dampener on it and that's really upsetting me a bit this season.
2: I I think it's exciting for the fans but uh, you know you there there is a risk that it can have a an undesirable impact on on the team and I think you know yeah it'd be great for the, it would be great for the fans there's, there's no disputing that but it, it's to be seen how, how the team will cope with with adding another competition to, to what they have to deal with.
1: Yeah, you are right. I think listeners, especially our regular listeners, will realise that that was probably the most obvious example of the differences between me and James. James is, is forever the sensible, level-headed voice of no one ever. I'm the emotional, excitable, giddy one that goes, ah, oh, we're going to win the European League. So I think uh, that's, that's good to have our ranged balance there, isn't it, James, that we can... <laughs> We can give two sided opinion of it. Um so let's move on, James, and let's have a look at Leicester at the weekend, which I'm gonna maintain excitement about, is a huge game in terms of the race for Europe. Now, when you look at this fixture, I kind of looked a little bit, especially a few weeks ago, it looked a little bit daunting in that Leicester looked like they were finishing the season relatively strong, but they've they've had a, a taken their foot off the gas a little bit recently, I think, and they've um maybe not performed as well as they like. I'm expecting a tough game at Turf Moor, but maybe not one as tough as perhaps it could have been a couple of weeks ago. But the the, the news coming out of, of Leicester is very different and very contrasted to that one of Burnley in that they do want seventh place. They want European football because they've had a taste of it already when they won the league. Um, so I guess, what are your thoughts, James? Do you think it's going to be a tough game, an easy game? Do you think we're going to win it comfortably? Let us have the James Bird preview.
2: You know, I think every the the important thing to say to start with is that every game in the Premier League is a, a tough game. Uh, I don't think there's any easy games, even you know, against against uh, the likes of Stoke and, and Southampton who are down there struggling. Um, Leicester, obviously, they, they had a, a bad result at the weekend. I think they're going to want to try and uh, set that right. Um, you know, they'll be very disappointed they got beat by Newcastle at home. Um and it's obviously put a massive dent in the their chances of finishing seventh in now, six points behind us. Uh, you know, and, and Saturday's a a massive game and it could put paid to 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 what they're looking to achieve. Um I think we'll be as up for it as we are any other game this season and you know, hopefully our players have got one eye on potentially chasing down Arsenal. Um as I said last week, I think all our games really are are winnable. Um but there's a couple of games there for Arsenal potentially. Potentially lose. I mean, you know, they've got to play Man United net yet, and that's um, a tough game for them. So, hopefully, our players are motivated that you know, if we keep winning games, um, then you know, sixth will be within our reach. But it, it'll be ultimately other teams to that will decide it. Um, but we'll have done our bit. So, hopefully, the, you know, the players will come out fired up, uh, and I'd expect us to to win. Excellent. I do
1: love this. What What do you expect his team selection will be? Do we stick with four four two and then look to bring Sam on if needed or do we go four five one and look to bring Wood on to go four four two? He's uh he's suddenly got three three formations under his belt as Dutch. I'm not really sure what to do with this.
2: Uh you know, he still likes to to keep his team broadly the same. So I think he'll he'll go with um the same starting lineup. Uh you know, Ben Me back in if he's available. Um Goodmanson back in if he's available. You know, other than that, I think he'll be looking to stay four four two Barnes and Wood and and give him another crack because you know, for the most part, those two together have been uh, exceptional so far.
1: Yeah, I think I probably agree with that. I'm uh, I'm expecting um, a strong performance from the Clarets and I, I just just think that this team breeds confidence when it wins, and I just it does feel a little bit different to the end of the last season in that. It feels like we're finishing the season strongly, doesn't it? Whereas last season, I think we we got to 40 points and we had quite a disappointing end to the season. We didn't quite perform or we didn't quite get the number of points that we thought we would have done. So I'm expecting a tough game, but I'm also expecting a Clarets victory. So I am feeling very, very confident. Um, That is all we have time for this week, listeners. We have looked at a fantastic away win at Watford. We have... Got excited and calming and up and down and rational and irrational about our European chances. And we have looked confidently towards Leicester at the weekend. Thanks as ever to James for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. But thanks go to you, the listener, for sticking with us again, for downloading and for listening. We say this every week, but your support is much appreciated and we would not be here without you. Um, I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast.